You have a copy of the scriptures. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews in chapter 7. This past week, on Friday, September 15th, uh, marked the uh, literal uh, 32nd anniversary of the Constitution uh, of our church, uh, September 15th, 1991. Uh, Twelve members constituted together to form uh, this assembly uh, in a conference room at what was then a, a Holiday Inn near the airport. And as you think about that, uh, and this is not a, an anniversary message in that way, this is our, our next verse uh, in our exposition of, of Hebrews. But I can think of no text more appropriate uh, to sum up what we desire uh, our church to proclaim to this world uh, than this text here in the book of Hebrews. We looked last Lord's Day in the first 24 verses at the reality that Christ is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek and why it is that there needed to be a different kind of priesthood, uh, not like the priesthood of, of Aaron and of the Levites, but another order of priests in order to deal with our sin and how Christ showed uh, in his analogy to Melchizedek that he is superior to Abraham and superior to the Levitical priesthood, how he is the king of righteousness and he is the king of peace. And the writer, the preacher, now makes an application of all of that. And when you find a, a word like therefore, again, it's, it's tying you into the context. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. Those, I'm going to add, and all those, and only those, who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do pray that you would, by the Spirit, draw near and aid me, aid the one who preaches, and aid all who hear Father, we pray that it would not just be a powerful proclamation, but a powerful reception. And Father, we pray that today would at long last be the day that the scales fall from some eyes, that thine eye would diffuse a quickening ray, that the chains would fall off, that some would leave their dungeon, arise, and follow Christ. We pray this, that he would be magnified. We thank you for that one greater than Abraham, greater than Aaron, greater than any high priest, that one who has the power of an everlasting life. Amen. Amen. The great Reformation document known as the Heidelberg Catechism begins with this question. It's a question we have read and answered several times uh, in our life together, but I, I want to begin with these words. What is your only comfort? In life and death. Think to yourself for a moment, how would you answer that? What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer given long ago, I believe, is one of the most hopeful, grace-exalting statements ever written by a human being. The answer is that I am not my own, but belong in body and soul, both in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins 
with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. It would be interesting uh, this morning to take a poll of how many of you here this morning persuaded that you are a child of God have ever asked yourself the question, Am I going to make it? Am I really going to make it? Will I keep my faith? Will I be able to maintain a good conscience? Will I maintain my testimony firm to the end? Will I be able at the end of my life to be able to say with the Apostle Paul in the words of 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Will my ears finally hear the Lord Jesus say in the words of Matthew 25, 23, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Have you ever wondered, am I going to be able to say that? Now, why do we ask such a question? Why are some at times haunted by them? And some, perhaps many times, haunted by such questions. It's not because we have become convinced that the Bible teaches that we can lose our salvation. I don't know if anybody has come to a a change of doctrine like that. No, the answer to the reason why we struggle so is normally due to the knowledge of our remaining sin, our own failure, our own inconsistency. Perhaps you've struggled or are struggling in an area that you know brought someone else down. And you hear the story. Another pastor and I met this week, and at some point we we told some of the stories of people that we have known and that we have admired, some that we walked with, some that we shepherded. And they left off watching. And you think, well, there are times I left off watching. They were backslidden, and you say there have been times when I have known backsliding, that what allowed them to go the way that they did was an extended period of dullness or coldness or indifference, and you think, well, that's happened to me too. If the Lord Jesus tarries for another century, then some who are sitting here who have confessed faith in Christ and we have some young brothers and sisters in Christ. We have some in their teenage years, some in their 20s, some in their 30s and beyond. But say you even are a believer in your teens or in your 20s, if Christ tarries for another 100 years, then you're looking at perhaps 70 or 80 or perhaps even for some 90 years in which you're going to be living in this world, another 90 years of trial and temptation, 70, 80, 90 years is a long time to trust someone. 
It's a long time to keep your heart warm. It's a long time to guard your heart above all that you guard. It's a long time to walk by faith and not by sight. It's a long time to walk in spiritual warfare. It's a long time to be committed to the word and prayer and to the means of grace. It's a long time to deal with dark providences that have shattered the faith of some. It's a long time to deal with deferred hope and disappointment and even disappointment in the church and among fellow brethren. And so it is that we bless God for passages like this one before us. For brethren, if it depended upon you, if I stood here today and say, my friend, and I will say, my friend, yes, we need to persevere. We need to endure, and we need to endure hardship. But if I told you, and the strength to do that depends on you and on your own keeping, you would perhaps shut down in despair. As we come to the text here this morning, there are two things I want to open up and apply. The first is, I want to consider how the preacher here describes the Christian, and in many ways describes the Christian life. And then we want to consider, secondly and more fully, the magnification of the Savior. So the believer described, and then secondly, the Savior magnified. Consider, first of all, the believer described. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Now, this passage, this whole section, what is before and what follows is packed with much sweetness. And this is a text that contains, as we will come to see in a moment, one of the most glorious promises to be found anywhere in the word of God. In fact, I can think of few texts that are intended to ground the believer more surely in hope and security than the words of Hebrews 7 and verse 25. But not only does it give to us a wonderful ground of our assurance and hope, it also gives one of the most wonderful and simple descriptions of a Christian to be found anywhere in the Bible. Believers, as you study the Bible, are described in a, in a variety of ways, and each of them are very interesting uh, that we could look at. That would be, uh, for one of us preachers here, maybe a good series uh, how are believers described? So sometimes beloved, sometimes elect, sometimes chosen, sometimes saints, sometimes children of God. But how does the Holy Spirit through the preacher describe Christians here? They're described as those who come to God through Jesus. They are those who are coming to God through Jesus. Really, it is best to say they are those who are coming, not who have come or who come, but those who are coming continually, perpetually, coming to God, but coming to God by or through or in union with Jesus. They are coming to God. They have come to God. Now, there are many people in the world who believe that there is a God and they believe they need to come to God, and they have a, a variety of grounds or roads or ways that they come to God. But what marks a Christian is this, 
is that they come to God through Jesus. And that's how you know. I mean, among all the various things in which you think about, is this person a Christian or, or are they not? Get down to answer this question. Have they come to God and how do they come to God or by whom do they come to God? When we understand that the God of the Bible is holy and we could open up so much of the magnificence of that statement, the reality that God is holy and sinless, and you're not. In fact, you have sinned, and you have fallen short of the glory of God, and you've done that your entire life. And so when you think to yourself, well, how does a person come to God? Sadly, humanity generally answers the question, I will come in my own name and on my own merit. Again, you do a survey of our American society and ask, do you believe there's a heaven? And again, we're at a point in life where more people believe they're going to heaven than believe there is a heaven. I don't know how that works out, but that's the reality of it. Do you believe there is a heaven? Maybe 80%. Do you believe you're going to heaven? 95%. You know, so I don't know how you work that out, but again, that's today's math. But you say to them, do you believe you're going to heaven? And they say very often something like, I hope so, or I believe so, or of course I am. And when you ask them how they're going to get there, they answer in one way or another, by my own merit, because I'm good. Because I believe my good will outweigh my bad. I believe that I am good enough. And the answer to the Bible is you can never come on your own. The, the whole of Old Testament religion from the very beginning, the time that man fell showed that you can't come to God on your own. Well, some people say, well, I'll come in association with a great man. I'll come in association with uh, whether it's, it's Muhammad or some would say, I'll come in association with Abraham. I'm of the seed of Abraham. I follow the law of Moses or I go on the basis of my religion through priests or sacraments or good works. That I will come to him and believe that I'll be received by him because of my baptism or I will promise to do better as Scrooge did. I will amend my life and hence I will be blessed. But let me ask you here this morning, when you came to know your sin and you believed that you'd sinned against a holy God and that if God were just, that he would send you away from him forever, how did you come to him? Because you knew you needed to come to him. And how did you come to him? What was your perfect plea? You came because the Lord Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that if you're here this morning and you want to know God and you want to have peace with God and you want to have a forgiveness for your sins, then listen, you need to know about this man, Jesus, and you need to come to God through him. The Bible said, Jesus said of himself, I am the door into the sheepfold. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 
You see, the Bible says that God will have a people. God will save a people. God will save a multitude of people, a myriad of people, an innumerable host of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. God will save them, have mercy on them, forgive them. He will receive a people, but he will only receive them through union with his beloved son. Any person who is a Christian, any person who has a biblical right to assurance based on God's own revelation, anybody who has a hope again that one day they will be received into heaven has this testimony, I came to God through Jesus. I stopped trying to save myself I stopped trying to seek my own righteousness. I realized I wasn't good enough. I could never be good enough. I realized my sins were too great for them to be atoned for by anyone else than Jesus himself. And so I cast myself on him. Now, listen, though. Yes, that's our testimony in some way, you say, well, that's what I write. If I'm, if, so if you want to become a member here, one of the things you do, you write your testimony. And I will tell you, I'll let you know, this is what the elders are looking for. Did you come to God through Jesus? Is Jesus part of your testimony? Is he, is he your testimony uh, in a sense? Have you cast yourself upon him? But, but that's not the only question. Are you? casting yourself on him because again he doesn't say he's able to save to the uttermost those who did come through him it is those who are coming it's not simply that we did come to god through him it's that we continue to come to god through him so i'm not going to embarrass you by asking how many of you prayed this morning whether it was in morning devotions or at a meal or in preparing your heart, when, when you prayed, you most likely either knowledgeably or verbally in some way gave a name by which you approached the Father. You came to him in Jesus' name. You presented a name. You didn't say, Lord, I come to you in my own name. I come to you in the goodness of this past week. I come to you, Lord, through the many meetings I have had and the gospel I have shared with others and the encouragement that I got. I, 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 I had a good week. Got to become a grandpa again this week and serve my family this week. You know, I, I'm pretty, I, think, I, think, I think this week I can come to God through me. No, I don't dare. If you came to the Father this morning, you came not in your own name, not in the name of the church, but in the name of Jesus. And in doing that, you're reminding yourself that he remains your access to the Father. You're leaning on him, who he is and what he has done. That's my hope. My hope has nothing of me. Your hope has nothing of you other than you can say, well, that I came to God through him. But the emphasis here is the on him, not the on you. That it is all of him. Listen, all of him. We have some good theology in some of our very simple hymns. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus 
oh, and my goodness. No, nothing but the blood of Jesus on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We approach our God on the day that we began our faith and on our deathbed and then our reception into glory will be in and through the person of Jesus. And so when we approach our God, all right, so I said I had, a, I had a pretty good week this week, but last week, maybe not so much. And maybe this week, not so much. But I could still approach God. Not because I, I thought at the end of the day, Jim, you're good enough today to approach God. You did enough today. You ticked enough boxes. You avoided enough sin. At least outwardly. Yeah, your inner heart was a cauldron of met, but you know, but you did all right. I think now you can come. No, never, ever, ever can I go, never can I have access and certainly not boldness of access and not confidence and not freedom other than the reality that I am clothed in a righteousness, not my own that I am clothed in a righteousness completely accept, completely acceptable, and that in the beloved, I am as loved of God as the Son is loved of God. Now you say to yourself, you don't really believe that. I, I, I struggle with believing that sometimes because I don't deserve that, but that's not what we're talking about. We have access to God. We can come to God because we have a great high priest, a loving priest, a sympathetic priest who went where no priest before or since has ever needed to go. No, no one could go. No one has needed to go. And he went, as our passage has reminded us, behind the true veil into the presence and there shed his blood. And by that one offering has done what all the blood of bulls and goats on Jewish altars slain, quoting a hymn there, could not do. He not only died as a perfect spotless lamb, but he had lived a life of perfect and full obedience. So that by his life and by his death, he pays for our crimes and gifts us with the righteousness, the very righteousness of God. And that's why we can come to God, and that's how we come to him. It's how we came to him, it's how we come to him. What began the Christian life is what preserves the Christian life. And this seems so simple, and yet I fear it is so quickly and painfully forgotten. Many sensitive saints begin to focus on themselves and how they failed. In fact, for many believers, this, is the, this seems to be the whole of their Christian life is failure. Now, some perhaps they think like, oh, I got an A today or a B, at least needs improvement. But many see themselves as just saying, it's just everything is marked failure. They fail. They've grown so little. They, they, they focus on other saints, compare their struggles against their parent, a parent's success. And they grade themselves. And, and what happens? Well, there's a degree of despair. 
God doesn't love them. God doesn't delight in them. God doesn't really want them. God tolerates them at best. And maybe despite all their crying out to God, all their pleas for Christ's righteousness, that they will be tried in the balance and found wanting. Well, how are we, if we are lifted up again, how are we lifted up again? And brethren, it's never turn your eyes on yourself. Look, just try, try harder, do better, and then you'll be able to lift up your head. Well, what about all my past sins? What about everything that I might yet do? Yeah, maybe on this particular moment, I feel like, Lord, I, can, I really feel I can lift my head today. But how does a Christian persevere in the way? And all true Christians do persevere, but how do they do it? Well, the only way to do it is you've got to keep coming to God through him. You've got to keep going to the Lord and going to him through him. They maintain their souls the same way that they, as it were, received their soul or had their soul cleansed in the first place. They keep coming to God through Christ so that Christ remains their hope, their only hope all the way. The Lord Jesus does not simply again give us a boost or a push or get us started. And then leave them to themselves. Day by day, we repent of our sins. Sometimes moment by moment, and we refresh our souls in our faith by looking to Christ. Are you doing that? Are you neglecting the door? Do you feel so unworthy to enter the door? Well, the reason the door is there in the first place is because of your sin. And if your sin keeps you from going through the door, then you don't understand why the door is there. Well, I can't wash my hands in a sink. I'm too dirty. Well, that's why it's there. That's why they created it. That's why they made it. So that you could wash. Are you finding sometimes the burden of your sin so great and the holiness of God so daunting that you're afraid to come to him? Listen, I've been there. I'm not, well, how do you, why do you say that, Jim? Because I've been there. Afraid to draw near to such a holy God. You know you need to come to him for forgiveness and strength. You know you ought to come to him to praise him and thank him and to depend upon him. But you're so weak, so stained, and so full of doubt. And so you see yourself again as a constant disappointment to God. You're such a failure. You sin and you sin in your, you sin in your heart. You sin in your thoughts, your words, your doubts, your lack of trust. The joy and peace and patience and kindness that ought to mark you doesn't. And you fail yourself and you fail others. And maybe you think, why did he ever bother to save you in the first place? Well, remember that there is a door, dear brethren, a door into the sheepfold. My dear brother, my sister, the way that you entered into the throne room that first time is still the way you come now. Don't try to create your own. Don't think to yourself that after so many years, you know, Lord, I've come so often through your door. I think I ought to make one of my own. No, you keep going through the one that God has graciously provided. So that's what a Christian is. They go to God through Jesus. 
Let's consider, secondly, having seen the believer described, consider the Savior magnified. And I want to answer two questions. How does Christ save? And then answer, well, how can, or why can he save like that? Or, or Yeah, that's how we'll phrase it. Not great, but we'll, we'll go with that. <laughs> how does Christ save? And then why can he save that way? How does Christ save? Well, look at our text. It tells us, therefore, he is, because he is a, the king of righteousness and the king of peace, because he is Abraham's great, are you greater than our father Abraham? Before Abraham was, I am. Yes, I am greater than Abraham, greater than David, greater than Levi, greater than Aaron, greater than the priest. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. When was the last time you used the word uttermost? It's what he's able to save to. He is able. And it is a word tied to, it's tied into the word for salvation here is how it's translated. He is able to save. It speaks of a continual power. When it says he is able, it means ability and action. It does not mean potential energy. You see, someone might have the power to do something that they never do. So some of you are able to be more generous than you are, but you're not. You're able to be more devoted to the body of Christ. You're able to witness to others. If you can talk, you're able to do that. You're, able to put, you're actually able to put certain sins to death by the power of the Spirit. It doesn't mean you do it. You have power to do it. But when we say that he is able to save to the uttermost, we do not mean that he could, but does not always succeed. Okay? If God would give us eyes to see, we would know that the salvation and preservation of a soul is a great work. And that's why the Bible says that we are kept by the power of God unto salvation. The scriptures tell us that no one could redeem his own soul. And in fact, it says in, uh, in, in Psalm 49, no one could redeem his brother for the redemption of a soul is costly. It is a work that no single person or multitude could ever accomplish apart from Christ. Salvation has to do with the guilt from sin, the power of sin, and one day the presence of sin. For a person to be saved, delivered from a place of danger to safety, their sins need to be covered. And the wrath of God needs to be abated, and the justice of God needs to be satisfied. And then the sinner must not only be made righteous or excuse me, clean, but righteous. See, it's not just that you have your record taken away. It is that positively you are given the righteousness of Christ. But we need to be clean, in fact, so clean that we are able to dwell with the, in the high and holy place. Who can ascend unto the hill of the Lord? 
Who can go into the presence of God, a God so holy that sinless angels cover their face and cover their feet before him as they cry out incessantly that God is holy? Now, they themselves have never sinned. And yet God is so transcendently holy that they, sinless ones, veil their face. So So what man or woman, boy or girl, who has been born in sin, stained with sin, who was born dead in sin and trespasses, how are we able to be so transformed? The Bible says we can stand in the fullness of his presence with joy inexpressible and stand there boldly. That means you're not going to stand there like this, but like that. To stand there and stand bold and confidently. Uh, if, If that's to happen, then there needs to be a power beyond your own and a grace beyond imagination. There's not enough ability within a dead sinner to get life into that dead soul. We not only do not have the power to initially save ourselves, we do not have the power to keep ourselves saved. Don't misunderstand when I say something like we need to persevere to the end. We have to endure. The Bible tells us that we need to keep our heart. There's a wonderful section in John Flavel's book on, on keeping the heart where he reminds us that though the duty is ours, the power is God's. We have a duty to keep our heart and to fight our sin and to cultivate grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we cannot do that except we be dependent. We have a duty again, but we do not have the power outside of God's grace. There's not enough ability in and of ourselves to keep ourselves from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We need someone who is able. You think of a child... You're taking them maybe uh, for the first time to a pool and uh, maybe it's 20 feet wide and you're there in the deep end, it's six, eight, ten feet deep. And that little one, you, you encourage them to, to come into the water. Uh, most likely you're not going to say to them, now swim across. You let them go and they panic and they, and they sink. But you say to them, now tell you what, sweetie, get on my shoulders. Like my kids used to do with me or on grandma now, <laughs> mom, get on our shoulders and believe that I'm able. I can do this. I have the strength. You cling to me and I will get you over. That, that's the idea. But again, I want to be careful with that because it is not so much that we, we cling to him, but that he clings to us. Where he says no one is able to snatch us out of the father's hand. He is able to save. But listen, he is able to save to the uttermost. And it's a word that has two meanings. One is completely, and the other is forever. So he's able to save completely. So let's look at it from both sides. He's able to save completely. Completely. From all sin's ravages and all of sin's penalty, every sin, every failure, every act of spiritual madness, when he drank the cup of the Father's wrath, he drank it to the bottom. Not a drop left. 
And if in the allegory and analogy, it contained all of your sins, we say sometimes, and in that cup was the wrath of God toward all of the sins of all of the elect. Okay, let's personalize it. All of my sins. All right, so how many of your sins were future when he drank that cup? How many of them had you committed yet? Well, I, I, I wasn't even born yet. And yet he knew of those sins from the sins of my the time I was conceived in my mother's womb until at almost 15 years of age, I bowed the knee to Jesus. And now 46 years later, and if Christ should tarry and God should give me another 20 or 30 years or 20, 25 years, all the sins that will yet be committed. He drank the cup of the Father's wrath to the bottom. There is therefore, dear ones, now no condemnation. And there will be no condemnation ever for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's able to save completely. To give you all the righteousness, to take away all of the condemnation, to give you all of the acceptance, accepted in the beloved. But he's also able, able because the word, the uttermost, means not just completely, but forever. He's able to save forever. We do not need to fear, and I'm, I'm going to transgress the laws of eternity here with a timetable. And we do this all the time when we sing Amazing Grace, when I've been there 10, when we've been there 10,000 years. We do not need to fear that a million billion years into eternity, a blot will be found on a record requiring your punishment. That some angel work in the computer. <laughs> I, I, get, I get a phone call almost every week. I, it doesn't go through because my phone doesn't take calls from places where it doesn't know uh, the number, but you know, so I do. So I'll Google the number to see, you know, uh, what scam this is or that is. But one of them is one of these debt collection agencies. But it's like, but I don't have it. Well, you can call me and tell. I, I, I have no record of any debt like that against me. But it still feels you a little like me, even if it's a scam. Oh no. Maybe I owe somebody something, you know, and I thought I was okay, but I, I'm not okay. I'm not like I thought I was. And, and you might fear that, what, that the Lord is going to somehow, you know, you got into heaven. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. We found out that there was something the blood of Christ couldn't cover. You do not need to fear that the blood and power of Christ will ever lose their ability. He's able to save to the uttermost completely and forever. All right, why can he save that way? How is he able to do such? Well, well, two reasons are given. And first of all, and we've spent a fair amount of time with this lately, because he is the great final high priest of God's people. As that great high priest, he offered once for all a sacrifice that was able to do, again, what all the blood of bulls and goats could not do. His ongoing ministry as a priest, is that of intercession. So priests offered sacrifices and they offered prayer. He made one offering, but he has prayed continually. One offering, but many prayers. He makes intercession for us. 
And one has written, the New Testament does not represent him as standing before the Father with outstretched arms, pleading our cause in the presence of a reluctant God, but as a throne priest king, asking what he will from a Father who always hears and grants his requests. Why is he able to save to the uttermost? Because he paid for all of your sins... And because he is there interceding and praying for you. And again, it is a joy when others pray for us. I'm always so encouraged. A lot of you prayed for us this week. You prayed for our family. You prayed for Olivia and Isaiah. And you prayed for little Jesse. And and God so kindly, kindly answered your prayers. But there was another one praying for us. And as sweet as it is to know, you know, you get a call or you get a, a text or an email. And I got one from Singapore and people from England and others letting us know we're praying for you to know that in heaven at God's right hand. How do we know there's no condemnation? Romans 8. Because God is the one who justifies. Because Christ is the one who died. Because Christ is the one who is risen. Because Christ is the one who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high interceding for us. That's why he can save you forever. But secondly, because of the power of an endless endless life. So let me give you an illustration here. So let's imagine, because my, my kid, when my kids were little, it was always kind of embarrassing to me. They, 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 their, their most fun game was orphan. <laughs> we're playing a game. We're orphans. So mom and I are dead. <laughs> In all our play, you're dead. Okay. All right. <laughs> so let's imagine for a moment you're an orphan. And you're taken in, as some of these old stories go, by some aged benefactor. And they tell you sincerely and lovingly that as long as I live, you'll be taken care of. As long as I live, you'll have food and shelter. You'll never lack for clothing If you need a car, if you want to go to college or grad school, I'll do it. Everything that you need, as long as I live. Well, what would your reaction be? Well, let me give it to you, I think. Enormous gratitude and uncertainty or fear because the gift is tied to a man's life. You'd be grateful for such wonderful, glorious, free, and full provision, but fearful that it would all end when his life ended. You go to the house and he coughs, he wheezes, and your heart stops. What if Jesus said, as long as I'm alive, your sins are taken care of? Well, you say, well, Jesus, will you ever die? And he says, I have the power of an endless life. And therefore, you never need to fear 
that any benefit that is tied to me or that I offer to you will end by way of my death. We will never come to the Father and desire to come through Jesus and find that there is a sign on the door, access closed due to death. You never need to fear that his benefits will cease to flow or that he will cease to keep you or that he will cease to intercede. And so this is our hope. Fearful saint, going to God through Jesus, you need to remember that you are resting in him to keep you to the end. Where will your strength come to persevere in the way? And somebody says, brother, sister, you got to pray. And brother, sister, you got to pray. But the reality is some days you don't. But one always does. If you're here today and your soul is troubled and You've thought to yourself many times, I need peace with God. I've been listening. You may have said many times, I need peace with God. But I wonder, have you ever said, I want peace with God? And there's a vast difference between I need peace with God. Anybody here who has some modicum of knowledge of what the gospel is and that there's a God and that you've sinned and he's holy and there's a day of judgment coming, you know you need peace with him. But the reason you don't have peace with him is because you don't want peace with him. Because for now, you're okay. And now the the joy of sin outweighs the thoughts of a life of righteousness. But if you should want peace with God, and to have that, you need to know that your sins are forgiven. And, And to have peace with God means that you can have a relationship with God and call him your father. And from the heart, the A a new spirit within you says, I can look at God and say, Abba, Father. Then you need to draw near to God. But you say, but I can't draw near to God because I'm full of sin. But listen, there is one by whom you can draw near, full of your sin, and draw near to the God who is holy. You can draw near to God through Jesus. You don't come in your own. You don't come in your own righteousness. You don't come in your parents' name. You don't come in the church name. You don't come in anybody's name but the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus and through the work of him, you can go to him and you can go to him today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. It's a joyful thing to tell you this morning that if you do come to God through him, then you never need to fear being cast away. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast away. The one who saves you is the one who keeps you completely and forever. We want you to know that joy. We want you to know it, yes, for the glory of God, and yes, for the joy of your family, but we want you to know it also for yourself. What a sad thing to stand before God in the last day and to say of the Lord, I knew all this. 
Oh, I knew there was a way. I knew there was truth. I knew there was life. I knew there was a name under heaven given among men by which I could be saved. I met with a, several men in ministry this week and was talking to one yesterday, a pastor up in Indiana. Yesterday we had lunch together, and at some point it came up, uh, my health issues and my heart attack that I had uh, coming on 12 years ago in February, and, and how that alters you. And I, and I told him a story, and I've told this here, but it's been a while. One of the things that happens, or that certainly happened to me when I had that heart attack, was a sense that there are things I, I want to, I realize, I realize I may not be here next week. I live, I live my life I, happily for the most part, but I also live with, a, I, I live with uncertainty. As I say to some, I didn't just have a brush with death, death perched on my shoulder. And some of you know what it's like, you've been, you know, you've, you've, and you feel that, and every twinge, every time you go to bed at night, and back aches, or your arm's a little sore when you're walking the dog, oh no, is this it? Is this, could, could, this, could this be it? And so sometimes I think, I think as a preacher, listen, I may not ever, ever be able to preach this to you again. And shortly after that heart attack, and I, I began ministry again, there's a man set back here where Michael is. His name was Matthew, and he was a resident at a halfway house that we were doing some ministry at at the time. It was a drug rehab facility. And we talked, and, and one of, we'd gone out there, and we're inviting some of the residents to come and hear the word, and Matthew and I had a conversation. And he said something, really enjoyed the service. I'm, I'm looking forward to coming back. He died of a drug overdose that week. And so you realize that... Just as I don't know if I'll have another week, you don't know if you'll have another week. Apart from suicide, nobody plans their death and says, well, this will probably be the last week of my life. This is going to be an accident this week. Something's going to happen, whatever it is. And so there does come sometimes a sense of, listen, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I hope I do. I hope I have another opportunity to preach the gospel to you, to some of you. But it may be because I'm not here and it may be because you're not here. Or it may be because God in judgment hardens your heart and hardens your ears and says, you've had 10,000 opportunities. And there comes a time, as it were, in the, go- in, in the, in the, in the Gospels you read of it, Jesus says, you, you wipe the dust off your feet and you move on. When there is so great, what will happen The writer to the Hebrews says, if we neglect, ignore such a great salvation, there is no, how do you describe a greater salvation than what I've I've labored to describe to you today that frees you from all your guilt, that takes away all your sins, that gifts you with the very righteousness of God so that you can stand in the presence of God boldly as his child and be welcomed lovingly forever into his presence. That we who were born dead in sins and trespasses should have the greatest love story, the greatest transformation story the world has ever known. My friend, if you've turned your nose up to it a hundred times, don't make it a hundred and one. And go and say to God, I need peace with you. I want peace with you. And God will give you peace 
through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask his blessing on these things. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together in your word and to open up your truth. We do pray, Heavenly Father, that in your goodness and kindness and mercy, you would aid your weak children in knowing their privilege before you to believe the goodness of the gospel. And Father, for those hardened in so many ways for so long, by grace breakthrough, we pray today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.